All right, so we are in the last week of our countercultural conviction series. Uh, and this week will be on singleness. And so if you're new here, if this is your first time, we've been doing this series called Countercultural Convictions, where we are kind of going through some different convictions that we have as a church um, that, are, that run countercultural. And it's just the reality that Jesus is Lord and that he saves us completely through his life, death, and resurrection, and that the Bible is his word to us. That's just countercultural. And so in any culture, time, or place, we are going to find that Jesus is countercultural in a lot of ways. And so we've been looking at some of the ways he's specifically countercultural in our culture. Now, originally, we were, the series was going to be six weeks long. Uh, but we actually got kicked out of Coconino High School for a week because they had to do some deep cleaning, and I just felt we should uh, put off one of the weeks of the series instead of try to do it at a random time when I'm, I wasn't sure if everybody would be able to make it. And so we originally talked about doing a message on hell as well, so we actually won't be able to do that message because of kind of how the preaching schedule uh, works up here and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I know that's a bummer. I know we all love to hear sermons on hell. And so, um, so for it, we'll get to it at some other time. Um, and then something else of note is the other redemptions, they did two different sermons than what we were going to do. They did one on salvation and they did one on generosity. And so we, are, we were going to do one on singleness, which we are going to today, and we were going to do one on hell. And so uh, I would just encourage you to go listen to those other redemptions. Just pick a random redemption and listen to their sermons on salvation and on generosity. Because those are uh, countercultural convictions we share as Redemption Flagstaff as well. So, um, so I'd encourage you to do that. So um, I felt it was really important for us to talk about singleness, though. Because I think biblical singleness is really countercultural. And I thought it was really important for us to talk about because we have a lot of singles that go to this church. And so uh, that was part of why I wanted to talk about it. And so it worked out that we're talking about singleness on the day when a vast majority of our singles are at an InterVarsity fall retreat this weekend. <laughs> so, um, so I blame COVID personally for how that worked out. Um, but here, here's the thing about this topic of singleness. The Bible says a good amount about singleness, and a lot of times when we are not single, we go, well, I don't need to listen to that. Like this, some of you are already tuning out. You're going, I'm not single, Anthony. I don't need to listen to that. Why are you talking about this? And I, I would just say this, like the, the Bible, all of God's word is good for us. It, it, all of it's good for us in some way. And so even if you're not single, if you're married, whatever it might be, and you feel like this doesn't apply to you, it, it does apply to you in some way. There's some sort of way that God can speak to you through it. There's some sort of way that you can use this biblical teaching to disciple, mentor, care for people around you. And then guess what, guys? Like, and, and this is like kind of tragic, but all of us, even if we're married, will be single at some point again. And that's scary and sad and all that kind of stuff, but that's just the reality. And so the, the biblical teachings on singleness are important for all of us, regardless of, of what stage of, 
of life we're in. And honestly, I feel like the church often kind of ignores this topic or tries not to talk about it very much um, because of a variety of reasons that we don't have time to get into here. So um, before we get started, I, uh, I want to suggest a book to read. I said every week of this series, I want to suggest some sort of a resource. So the, the book that I would suggest to read, if you want to go deep into this topic of singleness, is a book called Seven Myths About Singleness. And it's by Sam Alberry, who is a single pastor, okay? So uh, Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Alberry. Read that book. It's really good. I, uh, I tend to read a fair amount of books, and a lot of them I kind of just trudge through. Uh, but when they're really good, I kind of burn through them really fast. And th- that's how I felt about this book. I read it a couple weeks ago, and I just burned through it in like a weekend, essentially, because uh, it was really good, and I felt edified and encouraged, and I, I understood the gospel more because I uh, read this book. So, uh, read that book if you get a chance. Let me start us off, before we get into the teaching, can we start off by laughing? Do you guys like to laugh? I like to laugh. Um, so, uh, one of my favorite forms of humor is self-deprecating humor, okay? Um, and if I'm honest, I'm just saying it that way. I actually really like dark humor. I don't know. Um, I'm Irish. I think it's a thing Irish people do. Uh, but there, I've just, we've always, growing up, my family members, just a lot of dark humor. Like, and dark humor, if you don't, it's just like jokes you probably shouldn't make um, type of a thing. But I love uh, dark humor. And so uh, one of my favorite, like, kind of self-deprecating dark humor uh, jokes that have come around over the last number of years are... Uh, these tweets called Forever Alone tweets. Have you heard of these? So the idea of these tweets are people are encapsulating their singleness, and then often they hashtag the tweet Forever Alone, and so they're kind of saying, like, this is why I'm forever going to be alone. I'm forever going to be single. And so, and so there's just a lot of great just singleness tweets in general out there because of, the, because of this, but, you know, it's, it's a little bit dark humor. It's a little bit self-deprecating, but I want to read you five of my favorites. So... Get us laughing, get our brains open. So here's my first favorite one. Uh, You don't have to be sad about being alone on Valentine's Day if you remember you're alone all the other days too. All right. Next one, me thinking to myself, I think I want to stay single. Inner me, like you have a choice. All right, next one. Valentine's Day plan. One, breakfast in bed. Two, chocolates. Three, watch movie. Four, dinner for two. Five, regret eating two dinners. Six, cry alone. All right, next one. Nine years ago, I asked the girl of my dreams out on a date. Today, I asked her to marry me. She said no both times. All right, last one. Someone getting ready for a date. The roommate says, hey, the the keys do not seem too desperate. Me, okay. Later on. Date, I love this restaurant. Me, haha, I love you too. All right. So... Uh, those are five of my favorite forever alone tweets. And so uh, I bring that up because singleness is kind of, it will actually relate to some of the things that we talk about later and how our culture views singleness. But where we're going to go today is this, is first, uh, there's going to be kind of four movements to the sermon. And so the first movement will be kind of, two, we're going to look at two things that I think God wants us to consider when it comes to marriage and singleness. Two things that God, I think, wants us to consider when it comes to marriage and singleness. Then the second thing that we'll do is we're going to read one of the largest passages, a couple of passages really, on singleness in the Bible. And then three, three, whoa, my voice cracked, puberty. Um, Three, 
Three, we are going to um, look at why biblical singleness is countercultural, a few reasons why it's countercultural. And then we're going to close with some thoughts for this family of God around the idea of singleness and how do we live out this theology well. So um, let's start by looking at something that Jesus says about marriage. I want to start with a couple things that God wants us to consider when it, when it comes to marriage and singleness. And the reason I want to start here is because often when it comes to the conversations of marriage and singleness, we ignore two really key passages, in my opinion. The way that we disciple people in this country, the way that we talk to each other about marriage and singleness, there are two really key passages that we just ignore. And both of these passages, I think, are there because God wants us to consider a couple things. Okay, and so the first passage is in Matthew 19. Now, if you're familiar with Matthew 19 at all, uh, Jesus is being questioned about divorce. And essentially, in Jesus' day, divorce was kind of something everybody could do willy-nilly. Like, there was uh, all these rabbis, and they had all these teachings on divorce. And basically, uh, they basically debated on, like, what's divorceable. And a lot of the things they were saying were like, hey, if, she, if your wife burns your food, you could divorce her. Like, that's a real thing that you could find from a rabbi in the first century. Or if she braids her hair wrong, or whatever it might be. Like, so there was all these kind of crazy things that people were getting divorced divorces over. Um, and so they question Jesus to go, okay, hey, you're the new rabbi in town. Tell us what you think about uh, divorce. And Jesus basically goes, listen, like divorce is really not supposed to happen. Like divorce is supposed to be a tragedy. Like you're supposed to stay married. And he gives this very high view of marriage. And in the midst of this high view of marriage, we see something that I think God wants us to consider. And so if you go to Matthew 19, we'll start in verse 8 as Jesus is responding to that group. And then his disciples come to him, we'll see. So verse 8 of Matthew 19 says this. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples came, said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. All right, let's pause there for a minute. So Jesus basically goes, hey, except for in cases of sexual immorality... Like, you, you shouldn't, like, it was the hardness of your heart. Like, you, you, divorce shouldn't be a thing. Sinfulness is what causes divorce. And, and you should stop all this talk about all these willy-nilly reasons to get divorced. Is essentially what Jesus is saying to that crowd. And his disciples who hang out with him all the time have heard all sorts of extreme teachings of Jesus. They go to Jesus and they go, Jesus, if that's your view of marriage, if it's that important... If it's that sacred, if we have to hold to it that much, nobody can get married, Jesus. Like, nobody can get married because everybody's going to fail. No one could live out that sort of marriage. That's what the disciples are saying there. Do you see that? Like, that's it. they're going, listen, this is too big a view of marriage. So if that's the case, no one can live out that command well, so no one should get married. And Jesus' response is really interesting. He essentially goes, yeah, marriage isn't for everybody. 
Right? There's a couple different ways to take how Jesus said that. But both of the ways, I think I'm being biblically faithful in saying that Jesus essentially says to these, his disciples when they go, man, I don't know if anybody can get married. He goes, yeah, marriage isn't for everybody. Not everybody can accept this standard around marriage. So before we get talking about singleness, we have to start there. Because in our culture, in our society, in evangelicalism as a whole, marriage is just a given. It's kind of expected we all get married. It's kind of thought like, hey, everybody needs to get married. Now listen, I'm not forbidding marriage. I think if you want to get married, get married, whatever. But I think that God right here says, hey, marriage isn't for everybody. And so for some of us, before we get married, we really need to think long and hard, can I fulfill the covenant of marriage as Jesus sees it? And I think that there's more of us, before we get married, need to consider and think about and go, maybe I need to be single. Maybe marriage isn't for me. Right? We, we tend to twist kind of Jesus' words a lot, but it's hard to feel like when he says this to the disciples that he wouldn't want to say it to us too. There's not a whole lot of premarital counseling classes that go, hey, let's open with Matthew 19. Uh, maybe you shouldn't get married, right? There's not a whole lot of young men's discipleship groups and men talking about getting married and going, yeah, maybe you shouldn't at all ever. Right? There's not a whole lot of that. We nervously chuckle. But that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus says. So the first thing that God wants us to consider about marriage and singleness is, hey, marriage ain't for everybody. It isn't. Like if you cannot accept God's high standard and high view of marriage and that covenant, you probably, you definitely shouldn't get married. God in his grace is merciful to us. And allows us and helps us when maybe we shouldn't have in the first place. And so I'm not saying if you're married, all of a sudden you can go, well, oh, I should have never got married in the first place. Nope, sorry. There's an a- aspect of you, your, your yes needs to be your yes now, too. This is a covenant you're part of. But for those that are single in the room, Jesus would say, marriage ain't for everybody. And I think that's okay. That's the first thing that I think God wants us to consider when it comes to marriage and singleness. The second thing that I think God wants us to consider about marriage and singleness is in 1 Corinthians 7, where we'll be spending the the majority of our time today. And it's in the first uh, few verses here, or verses 6 through 8. So 1 Corinthians 7, it's um, it's a lot about... just relationships and sex and different things in general. And so, uh, and then there's this, this talk about singleness. And so verse 6, Paul kind of gets into this. We just read it for our scripture reading, but let me read it again. Paul says this, Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I, I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So let's pause there. It's really interesting what Paul says in verse 6. Do you see that he says, hey, this isn't a command, it's just a concession. Paul is saying like, hey, this is something to think about. 
And it's really interesting to me because what I've noticed is people take that verse and they take what Paul says about singleness. And I've known that, I've heard this growing up in the church a lot, is people take that and they say, well, listen, Paul said it's a concession, not a command. So it's just Paul's opinion. And a lot of times what people do is they go, yeah, so everything that Paul says on singleness, some people even say all of 1 Corinthians 7, is just Paul's opinion. We don't even have to listen to that. That's not God's word. The only problem with that is that's never how God's people have really treated 1 Corinthians 7. They've always treated it as God's word. Because historically, Christians have known our God to be a dynamic God, and they've had a better understanding of God's word than a lot of us do. Here's the dynamic thing about God's word, okay? A lot of us view God's word kind of like this, like Paul one day was like in a trance and the Holy Spirit possessed him and it was like the opposite of the exorcist because he was writing the Bible. That's how we view that the Bible is written, some of us. Maybe not quite like that, but something like that. But the reality is, Paul just wanted to write a letter one day to the Corinthians and he did it full of the Spirit and When he did it, God was breathing through Paul. Not everything Paul said was God's word, but this 1 Corinthians letter is God's word. So there's a dynamic nature of Scripture that a lot of times is hard for us, is that it is fully God-breathed, it's fully God's word, but it's also fully written by humans. It's fully written by humans in their personalities, in their uh, opinions, and and all these sorts of things. And so when Paul writes that, that's not a way out for us to be like, yeah, this isn't God's word anymore. When Paul writes that, what we have to realize is our God is a lot more relationally dynamic through his word than what we are comfortable with. We would rather a God that says, here's the commands, be single or be married, But what God wants us to do with our singleness is to think about it. That's what God wants us to do. When we are single, God wants to say, hey, think about this. That's a lot harder than just, hey, everybody be single or everybody be married, right? But God wants us to consider being single. God is relationally dynamic even through his word, right? It's easier to follow scripture if it was just all, okay, step one, do this. Step two, do that. But scripture's not that. It is dynamic. It is relational. And so the second thing that, that God wants us to consider when it comes to singleness and marriage is, hey, I want you to consider being single if you're single. Like God wants to say to us, hey, if you are single, consider staying single, Super encouraging this week, huh? (laughs) Like, God wants us to consider being single because the way God views singleness is totally different than the way we view singleness. So, here's what I want to do. I want to read, reread some of those verses that we just read, and then I want to hop down to verse 25 through 38, which is a large passage, so I'll be reading for a while, um, and just kind of read through all 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's views on singleness, which are God's views on singleness. And then as we go through that, I want us to look at some of the, the ways that, that, the, that the Bible talks about singleness and how uh, those ways are countercultural. They're different than how our culture views singleness, okay? So I'm going to take a quick drink of water because I'm going through puberty today for some reason. I don't know. And... Uh, so I missed it, so I'm glad that I'm, uh, 
So let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. We'll start in verse 6. We'll read through verse 9, and then we'll hop down to verse 25. So read with me. It'll be on the screen. Uh, Paul says this, Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. All right, let's hop down to verse 25. It says this, Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Okay. That's where we'll stop. So a lot of thoughts on singleness. A lot of thoughts on how this will all play out. And I'll just say this right now. Some of you are going to want me to exegete that whole passage and explain every confusing part of it, everything that didn't make sense. And I'm just, I don't have time to do that today because of what we're talking about today. And so uh, perhaps on another day, or you can go read that book I suggested, would help with that, among other things. But what I want to get into, rather than exegeting the whole passage, is pull some things from that passage and say, okay, what is the Bible teaching us about singleness? And I want to pull the things in particular that are the countercultural ideas about singleness, okay? So let's, let's look at four different countercultural ideas about singleness that uh, I think we can pull from this passage and other passages in Scripture about singleness. So uh, this is counterculture idea number one about singleness in the Bible. It's this, singleness is being unmarried and committed to sexual abstinence. Okay? Singleness is being unmarried and committed to sexual abstinence. I know that word abstinence is like a hard word for a lot of people right now because of how it's been wielded in our culture in all sorts of ways, but you could just change the word. But essentially, for the Christian, singleness means uh, to uh, be single, be unmarried, and to refrain from sexual activities of any sort. 
right? I like how Sam Alberry um, sums up the biblical teaching on singleness, and then he also highlights why this is countercultural. So I'm just going to read his quote because he says, he says it better than I could. He says this, It's worth pointing out what we mean by singleness, as this will have significant bearing on our discussion. From the point of view of Christianity, to be single means to be being both unmarried and committed for as long as we remain unmarried to sexual abstinence. The Bible is clear that sex outside of marriage is sinful, something that's underlined in the teaching of Jesus. To be single is to refrain from any sexual behavior. If you're single long-term as a Christian, that means being sexually abstinent long-term. This is very different from the predominantly secular culture around us, which holds to be single involves the former being unmarried, but not the latter sexual abstinence. And since marriage is often seen as a constraint in many ways, being single in, the, in a secular context can be thought of as a positive boon. All right, so the Bible's teaching on, on singleness is countercultural because it's not seen as this thing like all of a sudden you have this sexual autonomy where you can just do whatever you want sexually and you're not chained to someone. The Bible's teaching around singleness and sex is if you're single, you're, you're sexually abstinent. You're refraining from sexual behavior. That's countercultural. Some would even say that's oppressive. Some would say that's even wrong. And, and if you're wrestling with that, I would encourage you, if you, if you can, try to listen to the sermon from, from a few weeks ago on sex. The recording isn't great, but the parts on why sex is countercultural and why it's sacred in Christianity, are, it's a good recording, so you can listen to that. And so that's kind of the first teaching we have to get around singleness and what the Bible says around singleness. And I, I want to make a quick note uh, about this. There, there's this thing over the years, and I grew up in the 80s and 90s church, in the early 2000s church, and so I witnessed this, and there's this thing that a lot of people who have left the church, they kind of call this, this feature of the church uh, purity culture. Have you heard this term, purity culture? So a lot of times this term is used to say, hey, the way that in the 80s, 90s, and early thousands, the way that the church taught sexual ethics was kind of oppressive, and it was wrong, and it was legalistic. And uh, essentially, they say this purity culture has caused all sorts of shame and guilt and all this kind of stuff. And here's what I want to say. There is a lot of merit to what they're saying. There's a lot of merit to what they're saying. Now, I, I think a lot of times what people do is they throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is a horrible metaphor. But, uh, and they say, hey, if people that were teaching biblical sexual ethics also taught me legalism and shame and guilt and all these other things, then I got to throw it all out. But the reality is the Bible has a lot to say about sexual ethics, and so I, I, we have to be careful not to throw out the sexual ethics. But as that... Uh, whoever kind of critiques the purity culture of the church, we should try to listen and say, okay, what are, what are they saying that's true? What is a valid critique? We don't always have to listen to every critic out there, but I think that there is some merit to what they're saying. And so I would say this, listen, the way we talk about sex, the way we treat people who have sinned sexually, it, it's, it's just not good, <laughs> Like, we act like talking about sex is taboo. We, we act like talking about our sexual sin is taboo. A lot of us don't deal with our sexual sin. And then a lot of times when we know someone in the church that uh, is maybe sinning sexually, and we know for some whatever reason, we usually come to Anthony and tell, tell Anthony, like, I'm their kindergarten teacher, and I'm like, listen, I want to talk to them, but maybe you should first. 
And so here's what I'd have to say is I think the church could do a whole lot better understanding that the vast majority of our culture has some sort of sexual brokenness in them. The vast majority of humans, the vast majority of us, right? If I said, hey, everybody raise their hand and you, had to, you were forced to raise your hand, that who's sinned sexually in their life? Who's sinned sexually in their life in ways that made them feel really bad? Oh, probably nearly all of us would raise our hands. So I just think there is this aspect of where we need to um, be a little bit more sexually mature as Christians and, and less, um, you know, insecure about our, sexual, about our sexual past, about our previous sexual ethics. Again, not throwing out the sexual ethics of the Bible, but willing to hear people and not get freaked out when they're confessing sin to one another. We need to have more open and better arms for that. And so I would just say this, as, as that word abstinent has even become a hard word to hear in the church, it's become a hard word because every time someone confesses sexual sin, we're like, oh, 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 I don't, uh, right? While we ourselves are struggling with sexual sin in some way, all, a lot of the time. So we, we got to knock it off, all right? So the first countercultural teaching from the Bible on singleness is the person is not only unmarried, but they're refraining from any sexual activity, okay? All right, second countercultural idea uh, on singleness is this. Singleness is full of dignity, and it's plausible, okay? Being single is a plausible identity. Singleness is full of dignity, and it's plausible. This is countercultural because even though we in our culture, pretty much everybody in culture, we would say, yeah, sure, being single is full of dignity, we often don't treat people with dignity. And in the church, we often treat single people as less than. And even out in greater society, outside the church, often single people are treated as less than. That's saying there's... When we treat someone as less than, we're saying they're less dignified. They're not worth the dignity of someone else, which is not true scripturally. The Imago Dei says we all have the same dignity and worth and value. So we often don't uh, treat single people with dignity. It's also countercultural because our culture flat out says, hey, sexual abstinence, refraining from sexual activity, that's impossible. If the, you have sexual desires, if you have sexual appetites, and you don't act on them in some way, that's impossible. That's impossible. It's not plausible at all. But the Bible says it is plausible. God says that singleness is not only plausible, but full of dignity. What Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 7 is really, really interesting if you understand the first century. Paul was totally tearing down like societal structures by teaching singleness this way. Being single single was something nobody wanted in Paul's day because of economic reasons and because of societal structural reasons. In Paul's day, being single was seen as a tragedy. It was seen as uh, something bad. People in Paul's day, they were if they were single, they were definitely looked down upon. And Paul is going, you know what? Being single is actually a really good thing. And Paul goes, maybe it's even better. He doesn't say maybe. He says it is better. 
which we'll talk about in a few minutes because I'm sure you struggle with that too. But he's tearing down these societal and structural views around singleness. The views in his day of saying it's undignified. He's saying, no, it actually is. And listen, in our day, we have these same views around singleness. We see singleness as a tragedy, hence the forever alone tweets. Right? We see singleness as a bad thing. If you don't want to be single, it's a bad thing. And so we, what we have to see is the Bible teaches that single people have dignity and being single is plausible. Paul was teaching us not only that it had dignity, but it was possible. He was saying it's possible to be single. He's saying it's plausible. He show, Paul showed us with his own life. There's this other guy that showed us too. His name was Jesus. I don't know if you know him. He's great. He's amazing. Okay? Changed my life. Um, he was single too. All sorts of the early Christians were single because of how the Bible talked about singleness. The Bible said it's plausible and it's full of dignity. And so we have to listen to and be formed by that countercultural teaching. That singleness, according to the Bible, is possible, plausible, and dignified. All right? All right, let's go on to countercultural idea number three about singleness. It says this, in certain lights... Singleness is better than being in a relationship. In certain light, singleness is better than being in a relationship. This is countercultural because, again, if someone doesn't want to be single in our culture, it's a tragedy, right? A whole movement of forever alone tweets. There's all sorts of things. Like uh, in our culture, if someone is single, they themselves often see it as a tragedy. We see it as a tragedy. It is seen as a tragedy. But Paul says, hey, if you look at singleness from another angle, it's actually better than being married. We have a hard time with this better language, right? We have a hard time with this better language because we hear Paul saying, like, single people are better than married people. That's not what he's saying at all. I think he's saying a couple things. I think he's maybe saying they're living into a much more difficult virtue than most of us can live into. I do think he's saying there might be better in that way. Like, just like I'll say, uh, one of my friends can run faster than me and he's better than me at running. So he might be saying it in that way, sort of kind of going like, listen, they, there is a sexual purity that they are committed to that's better than us. But there's a couple other ways that I think he's talking towards the betterness of singleness. And I think it's because of he sees just a couple really positive things that come along with the single identity. The first thing that Paul sees in that 1 Corinthians 7 passage is he sees that single life is a little bit less complex than married life. It's just a little bit less complex than married life. And the singles in the room are going, no, that's not true. And maybe there's some ways it's more complicated to be single. I'm not saying there's nothing. I'm just saying, hey, married life in general is more complex than, than single life. It just is. Listen, guys, I sometimes play video games with my friends late at night while my wife is in bed, and I usually have to ask her about it, okay? And it's not because she's mean. It's not because she's oppressive. It's because we're one flesh, okay? Like, it's my decisions affect her. And, and that's how marriage should be. Like, we should be able to talk to one. Like, if, if I want to go out to dinner with friends, I got to talk to my wife, 
right? Like married life is complex. When you're single, you want to go out to dinner with your friends, you're like, I can do every day, right? Like I could, what, tell me all the days. And so I'm sorry, I'm just kidding, single people. But I'm just saying it's a little bit, it's a little bit less complex. And Paul sees that as a huge benefit for the body of Christ. Think of how complex a lot of our lives are. Single people, and, and so think of how complex a lot of our lives are as the body of Christ. When our lives are so complex and busy and, and frantic, it, it inhibits us from serving God in certain ways. Single people in our midst help live simple lives in the midst of that complexity, and they can step into things that a lot of married people can't. They can step into serving God in a lot of ways married people can't. And so one of the ways that Paul sees singleness as being better is he's like, it's, it's a little bit more simple. It's a little bit less complex. He's not saying single people necessarily are more spiritual or something like that. He's just saying, hey, it's a little bit simpler to be single. And we've kind of already touched on this, but the kind of second reason Paul is saying singleness is better is that in the midst of that simplicity, it's easier for a single person to serve God in a variety of ways. Which again, it's just true generally. Like a married person has valid uh, relationships and responsibilities that they are called to attend to and steward and care for to be faithful to God. That a single person does not have as many in, the, in those as complex ways. And so singleness is... It can be, in certain senses, easier to serve God if you're single in all sorts of ways, right? Someone calls our church tomorrow, and they said, man, I am just really struggling. I'm struggling with suicide. I just really need a friend. Could someone go to dinner with me? I, I have to say no. I have to go, hey, I can't. I, it's really important that I'm home during dinner time with my family to help my wife so she doesn't kill me later, and, like, and just all this kind of... And, and, but I could go to a single person in our church and say, hey, do you have time tonight to go to dinner? And the single person would yeah, actually, I do. This is just an example of how someone could step into serving the Lord better than a married person can at times. So this is how Paul views it, okay? So singleness is better in those senses, not in value, but in simplicity and freedom and possibly even virtue um, to serve God. So... Uh, countercultural idea number four. Countercultural idea number four. Singleness is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God. And I would argue that it's a gift whether you think it is or not. I would argue it's a gift whether it's easy for you to be single or not. Which again is countercultural because singleness is viewed as a tragedy. If you don't want to be single, it's a tragedy. But Paul here says, no, it's actually a gift. It's a gift from God. And he doesn't qualify. All the time we qualify the gifting like, well, if I have that gifting, then I can be. And, and Paul kind of talks through that a little bit. But regardless of if you have the gifting or not, singleness itself is a gift. And it's a gift simply because of this. Serving God is good for you. We've lost this theological idea. Some, we really kind of begrudgingly serve God. We begrudgingly do things for God. We do it out of obligation. We do it because someone preached a really convicting sermon or whatever it might be. But serving God, doing the things that God calls us to do, that serves him and serves others, that loves others, that sacrifices for others, 
that's actually good for you. That's what you were created to do. In human flourishing, we are called to truly love one another, which involves sacrifice. This is why we see it so much in Jesus. This is who we are supposed to be in the resurrection when Jesus returns and we get to live forever. It's not going to be a whole bunch of selfish desires being lived out. It's going to be all completely selfless desires being lived out. Because that's what we were created to do. That's how we were created to be. And so singleness is a gift simply for the fact that you get to serve God more abundantly. And that's good for you. I know some people, that's not good for me. That's, uh, no, it's good for you. There's all sorts of things that don't feel good but are good. Serving God is good for us. Think of the parable of the talents when it comes to thinking through singleness as a gift. The parable of the talents, if you don't know it, uh, Jesus tells this parable, say, hey, this is kind of what God's kingdom is like. And it's a manager going to these employees or whatever it is, and he gives them each different amounts of money, and the money are called talents. That's why the word talents is used. Um, and they, give, they get different amounts, and each person is expected to steward those talents in ways that benefits that manager, manager's life, right? And, and, and multiplies them and whatever. And, so, and that's kind of the idea of it. And I would say that singleness is like a talent that God has given some of us. God has given us this singleness if we're single, and it's a gift he's given us, and it's our choice to steward that well. It's our choice to say, how do I use this singleness in order to serve the kingdom of God, in order to benefit the kingdom of God, in order to serve God better? And so it's a gift in that way, no matter what. And if you look at the parable of the talents, the third guy, I think he saw the, the gift as more of a burden than a blessing because he just buried it because he was scared of the manager. And so sometimes that's kind of how we treat our singleness when God is inviting us into this beautiful gift where we get to serve and love and care for one another in more abundant ways because we are single. Okay, I remember when I was single. I don't know if you know this. I was single before. And so um, some of you, I, yeah, I'm not surprised actually. Uh, and the amount of things I was doing in the church, in a local church, in a parachurch, like all these kinds, of, it was like, like so much. And I was never burnt out because I was single. Okay, I was young too, or I had a stronger back. And so, but there's just a reality to our singleness. It, it, it gives us this ability to serve God in ways that are really beautiful and wonderful. And we should see it as a gift not as a burden, okay? So those are kind of the four things that I want to talk about from this passage that are countercultural ideas about singleness. There's all sorts of things I'm sure you're wondering about singleness that you want to hear more about singleness, but we we're, we're just don't have time for that today. And so uh, the Bible says all sorts of countercultural things about singleness, but that's all we have time for. But what I want to do now is, and kind of where I want to close us for the day is, I want us to have a little bit of a family chat the reason I want to have a family chat is a lot of times uh, I can preach a good sermon and it's like, wow, that was really good theology. But if we as a church don't live out that theology, it can feel to me like that sermon was for naught, like it was a waste. Because good theology is a lived theology, okay? That's some quote from someone way smarter than me, all right? So 
Good theology is a lived theology. And so we need to have a little bit of a family chat here so that as we see these countercultural ideas about singleness, how are we going to live this theology out well? And especially if we're married, if we're not single, how do we live this uh, theology out well? So I have a few things that I want to say to us in the room that helps us live this theology out well. The first thing is this. We need to be better about being the family of God. We need to be better about being the family of God. The family of God is not a nuclear family. It's not. God's goal wasn't, hey, I want a whole bunch of moms, dads, and kids separated from one another. It's not. That's not God's goal. He loves the nuclear family, I think, in a lot of ways. But the family of God in the New Testament is a gigantic family because it's everybody that believes in Jesus and has put their faith and trust in him. We are all family. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, we are family. You are my brother. You're my uncle. You're my father, in a sense. You're my mother. You're my aunt. You are, we are family. And so we, as the family of God, we need to be better about being the family of God. So those of us with nuclear families, uh, we need to find ways to have singles be part of our family in healthy ways. Right? Don't invite singles into your family so they can become the dad or become the mom or just do all your cleaning. Unless that's, you know, unless they want to clean, I guess, sure. Um, But look for healthy ways to invite singles into your family. And the reason we need to be better as the family of God, and the reason we need to do this is if we're going to sit up, if I'm going to sit up here and preach, hey, it's possible, it's plausible to be single. If I'm going to preach that, and yet we're not going to live with singles in our family as the family of God, as Scripture and God himself calls us to, then this is just a burden I'm putting on everybody. We need to be better about being the family of God. We need, to, uh, we need to live with singles. Not like be roommates, but maybe. Singles need to be a part of our life. They need to be part of our dinner routines. They need to be part of whatever it is, whatever creative ways you can think to involve singles in your life. we got to stop with this whole, there's this like whole thing that happens. And I, I've only noticed it in the church, but people get married and they're like, ah, I can't have my single friends anymore. Yeah, they don't get it. Guess what? Marriage is not that crazy to not like to understand. Like, or people they get kids and they're like, ah, oh, they don't get it. And listen, there are singles they don't get it for sure. But like, I remember when I was single, I was like, what's it like to have kids? I wonder. And it's exactly what I thought. Like, it's not. It's like not that crazy. Okay. Sometimes we think we're like so advanced. It's like no. It's like having a kid. Like, it's very easy to understand. Kind of a nightmare. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I love my kids. We got to stop with that. Some of my most beautiful relationships were because singles in my life continued to pursue me. Continued to pursue me in love and, and kindness. And those singles even spoke into my marriage in all sorts of ways. I'm thinking of Zach, honestly, as one of, the, one of my best friends in the world who goes to our church. I remember times where I was being an idiot being married and him being like, hey, I, that was kind of mean what you just said. And there was times where he was single, and he would just be with me and my wife all the time, and I would not trade those times for the world, because he knew that he was part of our family. I didn't have to tell him. He just, he knew that that's part of his identity. 
So we, we got to be better about being the family of God. Okay, my next family chat leads me to this. Even though singleness is plausible, it is possible, and I think we at times overemphasize its difficulty, even though all, that, all that's true, singleness is not always easy. It's not always easy. It's tough. It's tough because we live in a culture where like 99% of the movies we watch have some sort of romantic storyline, right? I'm going into Wally. I just want to see some robot stuff, and it's a, it's a romance. And I, I liked it. And so, but that was awesome. But I'm just saying, like, we have all, all, all of our art often has some sort of romance in it, and that forms us as a people. It just does. It forms us in a way where we deeply desire some sort of romance in our life, and so that can make being single hard. And so it, it gets tough. It gets tough for singles at times emotionally. And they feel the weight of their singleness, and they feel lonely. And we as the church have to see that and recognize that. We have to do a better job bearing that burden with them. We have to do a better job empathizing with the pain of singleness at times the hopelessness of singleness at times that is felt. We have to realize that as a church. Okay, third thing is this. Uh, stop pushing people into marriage, okay? I kind of already talked about this a little bit, but like I've noticed there's this thing that happens uh, where, and especially husbands seem to do this, uh, they will see a young guy, he's not married, he's not even dating, and he's kind of like, hey, next step for you, get married, man. Get married. And I just think it's so stupid sometimes. <laughs> Because sometimes I know the guy he's talking to really well. I'm like, that guy should not get married. He's got some stuff. Like, he's got to work through some stuff. And we just got to stop pushing people into marriage. Like, it's the next level of life. If you want to be biblically faithful, which a lot of us in the church who say, hey, the next step is get married, read 1 Corinthians 7 and come away saying, yeah, what I'm saying to all these single young men is the correct thing. I don't think it is. I think we should actually more often be like, hey, maybe God has you single forever, right? Which sounds crazy. But what if we began to say that? Like, what if God has you single now and for longer for really good reason to serve him in all sorts of amazing ways? What if we did that? I think the church would be healthier, right? I think we push too many people into marriage. And I'm not saying then, again, if you've gotten married and you shouldn't have gotten married, whatever it is, or it was a bad idea, like, no, you're married. Like, that covenant matters, even if it was made without wisdom. Scripture would say that too, I believe. But I, I just think too often in the church, it's seen as like, this is the next level of life. And I, I'm all for teasing our single friends, but like, it's become, it's not teasing. It's just like, mess, like it's just like putting on this burden this legalistic thing that's not true, right? You see your single friend talking to a single gal? Yes, make fun of them and say, hey, do you like her? But, but don't tell them they have to get married, all right? So um, I'm just kidding. If that hurts your feelings, tell me. I'll stop doing it. Um, all right, last thing, last thing. And this is just to the singles in the room. I want to say this. Be careful not to idolize marriage or relationships, it is really easy in our culture to idolize marriage and relationships because anybody that's been in any sort of romantic relationship knows, man, it can bring a lot of happiness and joy for a time. And because of that, it's easy to idolize romantic relationships. But Scripture would say, hey, don't do that. 
Don't idolize marriage. Don't idolize relationships. In Song of Solomon, it often says, uh, man, I'm, be, do not awaken love until it so desires. And it says it three times in Song of Solomon. This is the wisdom of our romance book in the Bible. It's essentially saying, if you aren't ready for love, don't awaken love. Because it's possible to awaken love before you are ready to steward it well. We have to realize that. And so singles in the room, I would just say this. Be careful not to idolize marriage relationships. They are an empty cistern that will run out of water eventually and not satisfy you the way they once did. And you'll be stuck in a lot of brokenness and needing to repent in all sorts of ways. Be careful not to idolize marriage and relationships. Right, this might come up like if you're like, ah, oh, this doesn't, I, I don't do that. I'm perfectly single. Listen, I hear more people say, God spoke to me about marrying this person or when I would not be single anymore than any other sort of prayer sometimes. Not all, but I'm just saying there's certain seasons of life where people are meeting and they're like, man, God told me, yeah, it's going to be this gal and all this stuff. She doesn't know it yet, but like God told me that. And, and you just kind of go like, well, is God also telling you like how to love the vulnerable people in your life? How to love that homeless person you walk by every day? Like, is God saying clear things about that to you? And I think if he's not, you're just kind of, you're, I'm kind of going like, you're listening to your feelings. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't speak that way. Maybe he does. I think at times he does, even. But I'm just saying, listen, that, that might be one gauge for you to go, is this an idol? Are you kind of constantly going like, God told me this or that about this gal or whatever? So I only say it because it happens in the American church all the time. So, all right. So the family chat over, that's kind of just some of the things I want to say to us and how we need to engage our singleness and be better about being single. So church, if we are going to love singles well, we need to not only teach that singleness is dignified and plausible, but we have to live out and support those truths about singleness that scripture says. All right, so I want to end here with a Sam Alberry quote and a couple more thoughts, but... If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. Marriage shows us the, the act of sacrificial love that Jesus poured out each day on earth. But singleness shows us that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is all we need, that Jesus is who saves us completely. That's what singleness shows us. And we need to see that beautiful picture of the gospel through the singles in our church. So may we be a people that live out this theology well, bring dignity to the singles among us, and help them to see that it's plausible because they're part of the family of God. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the singles in the room. And I actually am really super thankful that we live in a church that has all sorts of people and all sorts of walks of life. God, help us to always be that sort of church if that's what you have for us. God, being, being single in a Christian way is countercultural. And it's heavy and it's difficult and we have all sorts of voices telling us not to be and so, God, I, I, I ask that you would just help us and strengthen us. Strengthen the singles in the room to be more clear about what you're leading them into and what you want and, from them. And would you be their comfort and their love and, and all that they need. 
God equipped the rest of us in the room to love single people well, to invite them into our families, to stop um, living such siloed lives away from single people because they're part of the family of God too. And so God, help us to faithfully believe what you teach us about singleness and help us to faithfully live out what you teach us about singleness. Holy Spirit, we really need your strength and power to do that well. So God, we love you and we need you. Amen.